and welcome to the Innovation Oz Capability Forum. My name's James Riley. I'm the Editorial Director of InnovationOz.com. It's my pleasure now to introduce our discussion panel, moderated by Corey McLeod. The panel will take a closer look at industry programs, how to fast-track the technology we develop locally, and how we partner strategically to build upon other technologies and industries. On the panel today, we have Adrian Beer, who's the Chief Executive of Mets Ignited. For those of you who don't know, Mets Ignited is one of the industry growth centres, Mets being the acronym for Mining Equipment, Technology and Services. He brings extensive experience and expertise in the application of technology derived from the mining sector and taking it into other industries. Rob LeBusque is Regional Vice President for Verizon Business Group, responsible for delivering the digital transformation journey of the company's enterprise and government customers across the Asia-Pacific region. He's lived and worked all across Asia. He's a trained classical musician and is a governor of the American Chamber of Commerce in Australia. Jens Gernerman is managing director of the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Center, where he assists manufacturers with the adoption of Industry 4.0 knowledge and increasing competitiveness. Jens spent time in Germany with the former European Aeronautic Defense and Space Company and was in charge of the soldier and parafoil systems within the Defence Division. Okay, over to you, Corey. Thank you, James. Adrian, Jens and Rob, thank you for joining us today. I'd like to direct the first question to the, the leads of two of our growth centres. You've had a, an up-close view of some of those developing countries in some of our areas of competitive advantage. Adrian, starting with you, what are we seeing in terms of the companies in the MET sector, as an example, in terms of their maturity and how they might be participating in a program that AUKUS has led to? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, we talk about the capability that sits in our research sector and, and the innovation investment that has been made by all of our major industries, uh, defence, um, the mining and resources sector. And we, we talk about realising that capability through commercial channels. So what we've seen over the life of our growth centre is really not only the demand, but the supply. So turning that capability into products and services and delivering it to the market is a real change for us here in Australia. And I think a really significant opportunity Programs like this just provide more of our vendors the capability to supply solutions to these programs and really commercialise that technology capability that we know exists in our research sector. The pull through, the industry that will pull through these technologies and iterate, grow them, commercialise them. Jens, what are you seeing? Where are the bright spots from your time leading? Well, when we started six years ago, the question was tabled, do we need manufacturing? And now we, thanks to the work of my team and other factors, Manufacturing is back on the map, and that is good. COVID has helped for the right and for the wrong reasons. At the same time, we need to uh, understand that with 47,000 manufacturers in Australia, we lack scale. 85% of all manufacturers employ less than 20 people. What I'm particularly excited about is that manufacturing is not being defined wrongfully as a vertical, as a sector, but as a capability which is our today discussion about, about the capability, which cuts across all other sectors in which something is being made. Hence, now six years in, we have now six national, wait for it, manufacturing capabilities, including defense, including space, including pharmaceutical, including medtech. That is good. 
At the same time, we also need to understand that the ability of making complex things is measured in the economic complexity index. And this is where Australia stands on rank number 86 in the world. So there's a lot to go. That's a sharp intake of breath there when you realise what we need to do to transition that economy to complexity. And just as a, a secondary point, when you talk about the time that you've been in, at the AMGC, has there been a real shift in understanding of advanced manufacturing as opposed to what might have been manufacturing in, say, previous large projects? Let's drop the advanced. I'm not too amazed about the prefixes because the advanced manufacturer of today, when she doesn't do anything, she will be the traditional manufacturer of tomorrow. So manufacturing, the view of manufacturing has changed and we are starting to understand that manufacturing is not about assembling cars from other countries' uh, uh, companies. We understand that just putting something together is only one out of seven steps for manufacturing. Mm. And um, if you take, for example, an iPhone, the assembly of an iPhone, what we think, traditionally think is manufacturing, adds only 5% of the purchasing price of an iPhone. 95% happens before and after the assembly. Hence, the broader understanding of manufacturing, the broader understanding of making complex things, including but not limiting, just to put it together, that is slowly changing and is a hundred-year-old misunderstanding which we are fighting against. Okay. Rob, coming to you, we've talked about AUKUS and the industry development. We're still picturing submarines, mm -hmm. but there really is you know, a multiplier effect. What are we talking about when we're starting to actually envision the opportunities in terms of industry building? Well, even when you think about just the submarine capability, that represents a huge multiplier effect for technology and industry in Australia. So if you think about these vessels, they come with hundreds of systems, but even if you just consider the main systems, through the life of that vessel, they all need to be maintained, sustained, and upgraded over time. And each one of those systems represents a supply chain and a value chain that can be built out and that can support Australian industry. I'll give you a simple example. It can take twice as long to train a submariner as it does a regular naval officer or, or naval seaman. And so as a consequence, we start to think, well, what can we do? How can we use technology here to help accelerate that training process for shore-based training? Mm -hmm. So that's where technologies such as augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D rendering, things of that nature can give us a productivity dividend and get our staff trained more rapidly for the new capability and platform. That's a simple example. But if you imagine all of those aspects of this platform require that support and every single one of them will be supported and technology will be uh, intrinsic to the way that we deliver that capability. And that's before you even start to think about the second order and third order impacts in the industry across the board. You know, we heard a moment ago that um, manufacturing is not just the building, it's all of the other elements in that value chain. There's opportunity within all of those for technology providers and creators here in Australia. And that's before we even start to think about the submarine as a platform for other technologies uh, that Lee spoke about earlier and uh, their ability to deliver new technology and capability more broadly. So there's huge opportunity and the multiplier effect will be many, many times the actual investment just in the program. Adrian, I'm going to come to you. Jens talked about um, economic complexity. The area that you work in has to be the epitome of like. <laughs> The way that we look at the weightless exports that we have potential in this country, when we talk about all of that innovation that's come off the back of the weighted exports of 30 years, what do we see about those companies? What do they actually look like? And how are they actually applying that intellectual property across different sectors, including defence? So I think 
we sometimes look a little deeper under the covers. We look at the mining companies and the resources companies that have invested a huge amount of money for decades into our research sector to solve what are really are some complex challenges. I mean, remote operations, capital intensive industry, you know, energy intensity, it's a complex environment to operate in. And the challenges those industry players are trying to solve for require really sophisticated solutions. So rather than economic complexity, I like to look at it like sophistication. And I think in the past five to six years, we've seen the sophistication of the economy, which is really the transfer of that research capability and products and services to supply to those end market industries. And in the AUKUS agreement, they talk about interoperability. And I think that's a really important term to understand because we often talk about interoperability like a technology problem where different systems need to work together, but it's also a commercial problem where different businesses need to work together. And the transfer of technology and innovation out of one area like research and innovation or out of the mining sector can be applied into another industry through a commercial channel. I think that's really going to be one of the key drivers to improve the sophistication of Australia's economy. Can I ask, Rob, going back to, there's obviously we're also talking about lots of different things, but in terms of emerging technologies, things like 5G, mm -hmm. if we are going to be working more collaboratively in a technology transfer environment, mm -hmm. we know that there's lots of you know, case studies of shipbuilding yards that are 5G enabled. Where is Australia at and where do we need to be to make sure we've got the base level mm. technology? Well, I think at this stage of the pact and the agreement, it's all about accelerating adoption. So in the United States, in partnership, with the Newport uh, News Naval Shipyards. Verizon built the first 5G-enabled shipyard uh, manufacturing facility. Uh, that has been operating for almost two years or, or, or more than two years now. Now, importantly, for this particular project, that is where uh, the Virginia-class submarines are manufactured. It's one of the sites. So we have a deployed technology that is tested in the field, very strong use cases with robust and mature processes and systems already operating that we can bring to Australia as part of that technology transfer, that enablement that'll allow us to uplift capability really quickly. Those sorts of opportunities is where I think the magic is in the pact. And more broadly, outside of the submarine investment, you know, the reference to other technology platforms such as quantum computing, cyber and others, all of those have multiplier effects and opportunity for technology transfer and interoperability as well in the fullness of time. So it's not just a single threaded aspect to the way that we can work together with these new partners, certainly from a technology perspective. There's opportunity today, but there's a really long runway of investment and opportunity for Australian companies with both way trade. Jens, Michelle Simmons said on the first panel talking about focus. Now, you've obviously seen a huge kind of raft of different types of companies, different levels of maturity, technology readiness levels. If you were to apply your pragmatism to this discussion, and I know you will, where do we need to focus when it comes to your area specifically? Focus is the key for a country of the size of Australia. We are 25 million people. In the global scheme, we are rather small. And as soon as we understand the size or the lack of it, the better we are and we focus on our strengths. Michelle and the uh, mastery of the technology where she and her team are global leaders is an area of particular strengths and she utilizes the strengths in international corporations. Mm -hmm. If we try to do everything a little bit we achieve nothing and that's the idea of the growth centers to say they are areas of particular strengths this is the idea of national manufacturing priorities. We say we focus on these areas of strengths. And by continue doing that, we will punch above our weight 
in the areas where it really matters. I guess it goes back again to boldness around being bold to kind of, you know, focus and decide what will be kind of focused and what won't be. So, Well, we, we have the task to utilise the project called AUKUS. And um, every massive defence procurement has three dimensions. A political one in regards to the alliance, and that comes with a very strong alliance. A uh, military one, and this is about the capability to get the job done. And then the third one, the industrial one. And the primary goal for the industrial one, we have the industrial capability to keep the boat floating or submerging, in this case, be able to uh, maintain and upgrade it. So that is the primary goal. And there are knock-on effects where you want to have and sustain an industry which can do that. I wanted to ask the whole panel about the idea of scale and maturity, because what we often see is we have great technology, great research sector, and then we'll see things disappearing off shore, and then we buy them back. And, you know, it's great short term, but really, when you talk about that complex economy that we often looking too short term, how do we change that? Like, this is important that we have the ability to grow those companies domestically and continue to serve export markets as opposed to buy them back. What are the top thoughts on how we change that dynamic? Yeah, I'll kick it off. I think, you know, creating Australia as an economy that's a good place to establish supply. So we've talked about demand and we've got demand addressed. We talked about the demand of critical minerals. We talked about the demand for our technologies. We've talked about our research capability. So we've got a capability inherent in our research sector and that's been built on the back of a demand, sustained demand by those industry priorities that, that Jens talked about. But really, it's making Australia an attractive place to supply against that demand. And I think that's the missing link that we need to address. We've been able to understand what the capabilities are and why they've been created. I think about 5G, for an example. Before we had network connectivity in the resources sector, we had a huge amount of technology, huge amount of innovation and edge computing capability. Now, all of a sudden, we can get access to that data. So bring communications capability and a huge amount of data, we've got this huge opportunity to commercialise that innovation. So for me, making Australia an attractive place to create a supply for those solutions is one of the keys. And part of the attraction is a large longitudinal investment like this uh, underwrites the risk. Mm. It underwrites the risk of capital markets when they assess technology companies that are based here in Australia. So that in and of itself is a significant shift and will create opportunity for them to scale up uh, and access secondary global markets that they don't have access to today. So that's something that I think the tech sector in particular can look forward to with great optimism. I don't like the notion of saying we had a good idea and somebody bought it off us <laughs> as if the buying party is the evil party. We sold it to them. Yep. Um, so it is a market mechanism which saw us losing that idea. So it tells me, or it's an evidence for us overemphasizing on early research and under-emphasizing on the commercialization of the research. This is why we look at the nine technology readiness level and we spend 60% of our R&D money in level two. And then comes the commercialization value of death. And this is where, for example, growth center and similar initiatives trying to bring it all through and serve a market. Not like a, a, a good idea, like a hammer looking for a nail, but asking what is the problem we're trying to solve and support that. And this is why the focus on six national manufacturing priority, including submarine, including this long-term reliable beacon of where to strive towards is the right way to do, brings us back to focus. I'm going to talk about measurement, how we measure success. But in an earlier conversation, Rob, you were talking about capital 
inject capital to actually scale and, and having mm. these programs are almost underwriting risk, if you like. Mm. I think that's a really interesting notion of being able to be more confident about where sources of capital are coming from. Would that be mm -hmm. right? Definitely. And it, and it gives surety at the very early stages in research and development, commercialisation of technologies. I mean, when you consider the lifespan of, of the submarine, of the platform, it's 30 years, uh, sustainment and upgrades, AMPs and other things, all of that requires technology uplift. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think one of the secret source of the AUKUS Pact is that it doesn't just talk about a defence capability in submarines. It talks about other technology reference points that at their heart are actually platforms. Quantum computing is a platform. There are platforms for cyber ingestion and, and articulation of threats. These are platforms that can be built on and iteratively developed over time that, that create a significant uplifting capability as well. Um, so all of those things, once there's surety in investment and surety in development and demand, then there can be greater surety in investment as well. I'm going to um, ask another question, and then we'll come to some questions from the audience. Just building on the idea about measurement, you know, both the, the growth centre leads, obviously there's a lot of like reporting, and we're always trying to measure across our economy about signal to noise. Inevitably, any pact or any agreement as part of AUKUS will have numbers as part of what local content, for a better word, will look like. We know what we know now. What would we do differently about how we're identifying those things that will actually build capability? The limited funding for projects we had and the way we applied the funding, I think, is a good example how to create impact. We had less than $20 million for projects. We carefully selected project participants supported by researchers, not run by researchers. Researchers helping solve an industry problem, not the other way around. And out of this $20 million, less than $20 million, we're creating 2,500 jobs and an additional revenue of $1.2 billion. And the difference is that we don't take a grant and throw it against the wall and wait it sticks or not, but we're working with the companies, check homework, check milestone, whether they deliver what they say they would deliver. And that applied to national manufacturing priorities for defense, for the necessary technologies we need to develop and bring the manufacturing ecosystem along the way, that is for me the key to um, drive capability. Adrian? Metrics are interesting because, as Michelle said earlier, the rest of the world recognises our strength and capability, but we don't. Mm. I think industry is also a confusing term for us here in Australia. We talk about industry as the end markets, the big industrial markets that drive our GDP and our export growth. And so a lot of our investment and support goes into those end market operators. And I think to Jens's point, the investment isn't going into the companies that are really translating the capabilities, those end market needs and delivering them not only to Australian businesses, but into our international markets. So exactly. we've been a shopping ground for research competency for around the world, but we need to come back to how do we make it more attractive for Australian businesses to establish Australia as their home for commercialising technology globally. And so the metrics on performance of the industries that we serve, which is where the majority of our reporting is focused, we actually need to focus more on how many businesses we created, how many jobs we created and the revenue numbers that we generate. I think Yen's example is a great one of Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre, Metsignite Growth Centre, we've had the same experience. So small investment, big return, large number of jobs in companies generating revenue and now exporting their products globally. I'm going to take a question from the audience. This one's sort of double-barreled. Is there a place for building software capability along with hardware? And the second part of that is thoughts on current tax incentives, because that almost goes back to measurement as well about what 
value looks like. I'm thinking the R&D tax incentive is a, an obvious one. Rob? I can feel the first Go part, the which one. is, you know, you know, when you think about the capability in the platform, it'll create a logarithmic growth in data. Uh, all of that data needs to be ingested, it needs to be analysed, it needs to be understood. And you know, a data-first approach to investment from technology as opposed to a platform-based or a hardware-based approach is really where the growth and opportunity will be. And that's what will get it done in terms of the data ingestion and understanding. So absolutely. And we're in a good position in Australia because you know, traditionally we've been very strong in software research and development in this country, which is where the core of the IP sits for a lot of Australian-based tech companies. And so there's that great opportunity to leverage that with hyperscale compute power that's now readily available, with edge compute capabilities, and now with things like next generation you know, wireless transfer that gives us sub 10 millisecond data transfer rates at ultra high levels. Mm -hmm. The reality of what can happen either in a shipyard or in a defense environment or a manufacturing environment or another allied industry is really a, it is a quantum step forward in both operational capability as well as uh, efficiency and the dividends it can pay back for us. So we can look forward to that and that is not something that'll be 10 years out. We'll start to realize those, those benefits and those dividends very soon. I think um, we forget that we used to be a world leader in software. And it's not actually about an emerging potential opportunity. It's actually one that we lost in the past and we need to learn the lessons from. So the software platforms developed in Australia that run the Australian military, they were developed here in Australia. They run Chilean Navy, they run Network Rail, they run National Grid, you know, they, they run the LA Bureau of Sanitation. All of these organisations, big industrial processes, are operated with software that was developed here in Australia, but it's now owned by overseas companies. So we proved that we can do it, we proved that we can develop it and we can commercialise it, but we then lose it. And I think the focus is about bringing it back onshore and supporting the businesses that are commercialising those technologies. I think that's probably a very salient point. We're talking about capability, talking about building it, we're talking about keeping it, we're talking about making sure all the settings are there that we do keep it and grow it in this market. Jens, did you want to add to comments? R&D tax incentives uh, are counterintuitive to innovation because they don't focus. You get an R&D tax incentive for an innovation, but the nation needs to decide what are the areas of our strengths. We can't do everything a little bit. We need to focus. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, an R&D tax incentive is not being paid in advance, but after. So I question the additionality. Would the innovation haven't, have happened otherwise anyway? So I think the money can be uh, spent in a sharper way, in a more focused way, counterintuitive to our egalitarian society that everybody should get a little bit. We need to focus and we need to uh, scale and uh, that, I think, will do the trick. That is an interesting view. I'm sure it will be a controversial one, but I think it's a good so. one to be able to discuss. <laughs> um, I'm just going to, just we've got final thoughts for both Jens and Adrian. The next 12 months or so, looking at your you know, member companies and your stakeholders, what do the opportunities look like and, and what do they need to know? And then, Rob, I'm going to ask you the same about industry and government and transformation. So we're in the sort of final stages of our funding period. Our projects are coming to fruition and completion and we've had a huge amount of success in those projects. And I think we need to do a better job of sharing some of those successes so people understand what those opportunities are. And I think if I could I'd jump back just to the previous comment on R&D tax incentives as well, we also need to highlight that Australian businesses are worth investing in to attract the investment in Australian businesses because with the tax incentives that we currently have, it's easier to get foreign investment by acquisition to sell your technology and set up overseas than it is to get funding support 
for commercialising technology in Australia. Mm -hmm. So really, hopefully, in our final 12 months, we can prove that it can be done here, that there is enough demand, there's enough supply, and there's a scale in our local market to commercialise our technology. And if we can achieve that, Hopefully we attract more investment into Australia. Watch this space. Jens. The Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre was lucky to receive another $30 million from uh, government for the commercialisation fund. So we have a bit more runway left. Notwithstanding that, we have handed in our transition plan. We want to be self-sufficient, continue working with government, but in the less dependency. And we are short of 4,000 members representing over 200,000 Australian manufacturers. That is a big voice for the transformation and uh, we're looking for the next 5, 10, 15 years to transform the lucky country into the smart country. Manufacturing is playing a crucial role in that. It really is. I think it's been a standout in you know, the recent years. Rob, the next 12, 24 months, what are you seeing in terms of the technology landscape? Oh, well, this investment commitment is a once-in-a-generation opportunity for the tech sector in Australia and they need to grasp it with both hands. It starts at the appropriate policy settings all the way through to industry and investment. But over the next 12 to 24 months, the opportunity directly in front of us is to learn from what those partners are doing in terms of technology adoption and deployment overseas and use that to scale up our capability quickly. It feels like it's going to be a long time, but actually it will pass very quickly. And so we need to start today. And it starts not only at industry, it starts, as Michelle mentioned, at the education level, making sure that we've got those supporting infrastructures in place now because the opportunity is once in a generation but it will last a generation mm. and so the plans that we put in place today need to be plans that contemplate what that future will look like. A beautiful place to leave this discussion. Thank you Adrian, Rob and Jens. Thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed this chat. I'm pleased to hand back to you James to wrap up. Thanks Corey. I'd uh, now sincerely like to thank all the forum participants for your insights today. It's been a real privilege to talk to you. Uh, it's been great to have heard the views from Washington, from South Australia, from the technologists and from industry experts driving this. We wanted to take this opportunity to bring together these amazing people to share their experience. Obviously, programs like the submarine build don't happen overnight, but they do always benefit from quality dialogue early on in the process. So thank you once again to our panelists and to the attendees listening and watching. And an extra thank you to Verizon Business Group, whose support has made this possible. A reminder to the audience that the recording of this forum will be available on the Innovation Oz website. We look forward to seeing you next time.